you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find 1 Samuel chapter 13, as we are going verse by verse through this book. And last week we started a sermon series on making decisions in difficult moments. Making decisions in difficult moments. And so today is the second part of that sermon series, which I believe will be three, possibly four parts. But making decisions in difficult moments. And if there was a subtitle today, I would title it Overcoming the Mountain. Overcoming the Mountain. In the Bible, the mountains are sometimes described as some of the places that the most spiritual encounters happen in the Bible. You think of uh, Moses, and you think of uh, over and over again, different people and, uh, who ha- hid themselves in the cleft of the rock. And so uh, that's very, very much true. But in the Bible, monst- mountains, monsters, mountains are also viewed as obstacles. They're, they're viewed as something that is sometimes in the way. And, and if you think about that, uh, and if you were here Sunday night for my bike story, it's always easier to pedal downhill than it is uphill. And so uh, this idea of mountains, um, especially when they are too tall to climb, too wide to go around, gives this idea of difficult moments. And last week we looked at decisions in difficult moments, and there were three points that I gave you last week. And I'll just recap those very quickly. Difficult decisions lead to fear and unbelief. Fear and unbelief lead us to make decisions in the flesh, not in the spirit. And making decisions in the flesh has lasting consequences. And there was one sentence that I told you to write down, regardless if you listen to anything else, and it was, God watches, He walks, and He works. And so God watches you in your difficulties, He walks with you in your difficulties, and He works with us and through us and for us in the difficult moments of life. And, and uh, I'm not sure if, I, if you saw that. I was going to have him put a picture of, of this uh, on the map, but I don't think I got it in there this morning when I was messing with that. And, um, but the, the, the passage of Scripture today that we're looking at is 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. And if you Google, when you get home, 1 Corinthians, or 1 Samuel, excuse me, 14 terrain, you will see a, a cliff, a, a mountain-like area that this story would have taken place in. It's a, it's a narrow uh, ravine or a narrow road with hills on both sides and, and rocks and cliffs. And, and that's the picture that we see here today. Because I want you to know this, and we talked about this last week, that all of us go through difficulties. Every family goes through difficulties. Every church goes through difficulties. And our difficulties look different each and every one of us many times. And so today, I just want to take us verse by verse and let the Word of God speak to you and I. And so if you would pray with me, we're going to jump right in. Father, today... I come knowing full well that I have nothing good to offer. Lord, that everything that good that comes from today will be because of you. And so, Lord, as always, I ask that you would forgive me 
for any sin, Lord, that is in my heart, knowingly or unknowingly. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd open my mouth to the things that need to be said and close it to the things that don't. And, Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, write this down. The hopelessness of the situation. You remember last week, Jonathan uh, goes and he attacks the Philistines. Uh, They begin to respond. He is waiting for Samuel. He makes a sacrifice. Samuel says, you shouldn't have done that. And he says, the kingdom is not going to be yours anymore. And I want you to hear that because if you were here last week and you heard that story, you're thinking, how can it get any worse? Right? The Philistine army is as numerable as the sand in the sea, and Saul has 3,000 men. Well, I want you to know that it gets more hopeless than the numbers. Listen here in verses 16 through 23. Saul, Jonathan his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Mishmah. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road to Beth Horon. Another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. Don't miss this. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshares, his mattocks, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pim for the plowshowers, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle, now don't miss this, that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out of the pass of Michmash. So not only were they outnumbered, they were outgunned. All they had was yard-working tools. They had a rake. They had a, 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 a sickle. And the armies of the Philistines had swords and spears. You see, I want to show you something this morning because I think it is significant. When you see about these raiding parties going out, what they are doing is they are getting the high ground. They are taking the prime military locations. They are taking the high ground so that when battle comes... They are in a position to win. I never served in the military. I want to thank you who have. But if you've been in military strategy, you know there are places you should have troops, shouldn't have troops. There are situations and terrains that work to your favor. And so they get the high ground. And not only do they have the high ground, they have all the military equipment that they need. And so the nation of Israel, Saul, is... Realizing one simple thing. Jonathan, you shouldn't attack him in the first place. And now, <laughs> we're here with no way to defend ourselves. No way to fight. No way to survive. It was hopeless. 
And friends, today I want you to know I have no idea what you're going through. I don't know what your marriage is going through. I can just tell you this. If it seems hopeless, if it seems overwhelming, if it seems like there is no earthly way possible, you are not alone. I mean, think about this. The nation of Israel has showed up to a sword fight with a Chinese chopstick. That's how it was. Think about this. Imagine going into battle with a rake. Here I am. I'm going to do some serious damage with this thing. And your enemy looking at you with swords and spears and helmets and body armor saying, I think we've got this. Not only that, but the, the odds are so overwhelming. The Philistines thought this was a joke. And friends, the world will look at you sometimes and they'll think that. The world will look at us sometimes and think of that. But friends, I want to show you, the difficult decision does not define you. The response that you have does. The second thing I want to show you this morning is, even though the hopelessness of the situation you must choose to do something or just keep sitting around. You must choose to do something or just keep sitting around. Look what it says here in verse 14. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing the ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Boses and the name of the other Sinai. The front of the one faced northward opposite of Michmash and the other southward opposite of Gibeah. So Jonathan decides, I think it'd be a good idea for me and the guy that carries my armor to climb over this rocky cliff, this rocky terrain, go to right where the Philistines are at, and just get after them. Now, there's a reason he didn't tell Saul. I hope you know that. Saul would have said, we've got no men, we've got no terrain, we've got no weapons. Why would you pick on the biggest kid on the playground. Jonathan says, I don't care. I'm not scared. I know what the Lord wants for me. I know what God has asked of me. And I believe it is to defeat the Philistines. You see, and he went. He went knowing the terrain was rough. He went knowing that the odds were against him. He went knowing that the outcome depended totally on the Lord. But what was Saul doing? Saul was just sitting around with the boys. 600 of them, right? They were probably talking about the fact that they didn't have any weapons. They didn't have the high ground. They didn't have anything to do. We'll just sit here and wait. Sit here and wait for the enemy to come. Friends, you'll have to make that choice in your life. 
You'll have to make a decision whether you're going to go to the Lord in prayer when things get difficult or just sit and do it on your own. You'll have to make a decision as a couple when your marriage struggles to go to counseling, to open up to someone who can help you or just let it in. As a church, when things get difficult, we have to pray, seek the Lord's face, go forward regardless of the cost or just sit and quit. When we look at our country and how far it has fallen, we can either just give up or we can keep going into the highways and the byways with the good news of Jesus. You see, you've got to make a decision today either to stand, to go, to do, or to sit. You see, in this passage of Scripture, it mentions a thing called the ephod or ephod, however you pronounce it. And it was something that the high priest would wear when they would seek and get counsel from God. You see, it's significant that it says that he was wearing that because what it means is Saul could have heard from God if he wanted to, but he chose not to. You see, Saul could have got the same marching orders that Jonathan did, but he didn't want to. Saul could have took his 600 men, marched it through that ravine, marched it over those cliffs, and went to battle with the Philistines, but he said, I have access to God, but I'm not going to use it. And friends, today, if you're a Christian, I want you to hear this. You have access to God. The Bible says we have a high priest who sympathizes with us in every area of your life. If you're hurt today, Jesus understands. If you're broken today, Jesus understands. If you're lonely today, Jesus understands. If you're, if you're down and discouraged, Jesus understands. Whatever you're going through, you have a high priest, a God who loves you and wants to hear from you. Third thing this morning. I've got four points. Don't get your hopes up. You must trust God to provide the victory. Now don't miss that. We're building here. The hopelessness of the situation. You must choose to do something or keep sitting. But you must trust God to provide the victory. Just jump into verse 6. We're going verse by verse. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For don't miss this verse right here. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then here, I am with you, according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. Can you imagine being Jonathan's armor bearer? And him coming up to you knowing all that has happened. Knowing that your father and the nation is upset with you because you've already attacked the Philistines just recently. And the guy that you're responsible for taking care of and carrying his armor comes up and says, I think we ought to go do it again. I'm thinking you are a special kind of person. 
What do you mean we're going to do it again? We just did it and you see what happened? Samuel said the kingdom is going to be taken from your dad. Your dad is to blame for all of this. And you want to do it again? He says, if that's what the Lord laid on your heart, let's do it. I don't have that kind of faith. I'd have been like, we tried it that way before. We went that direction one time. We, we've seen it fail before. I think that's one of the biggest things I've struggled with the longer I've pastored, is when I first started, it didn't matter what the Lord called us to do. We were going to do it. The Lord was going to provide. And I wasn't worried. But the longer you pastor, and the more your ideas don't quite work out the way that they think they should, your, your opportunities don't quite turn out the way that you think they should, it's easy just to think, well, maybe we just ought to hold our own. Right? Maybe we just ought to stay where we're at. But sometimes you have to remember, like Jonathan says, God can save you whether you have the numbers or you don't. God can take care of you whether you have the money in your account or not. God can provide for you whether no one else stands with you or not. If God has laid it on your heart, if God has called you to it, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, what the world thinks, you have to go with this one simple belief that if God be for me, who can be against me? Christian, you have to know what God has called you to do. And you have to go regardless of the cost. You see, I have three things I wrote down here. You see, the Philistines thought they had the weapons, but they didn't know that God doesn't fight with earthly weapons. You see, the Philistines thought they had the high ground on the top of the hills, but they didn't know that God had formed those hills. You see, the Philistines thought that they had done everything right by earthly military strategy and power, but they did not know that God gives wisdom and power from on high. You see, Jonathan tells him, we're going to go up and show ourselves. Just the two of us. And if the Philistines say, you wait right there, we'll come down and get you. We ain't going up. But if they look at us and say, come on up here. Come on up and get you some. He said, we're going. Because the Lord has told us that we shall win. And friends, it's about time some of us had that attitude. Lord, I believe that you will hear my prayers when I pray for my lost loved one. Lord, I believe that I should share my faith at work regardless of how much it's going to cost. Because why? God says if he has given you the victory, take it. If he has opened the door... Walk through it. Third, the fourth and final thing this morning, as I try to close quickly, God will win the victory, but that doesn't mean you won't have battle scars. God will win the victory, but that doesn't mean you won't have battle scars. Look what it says here in verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor barrel and said, 
Come to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hands of Israel. And Jonathan climbed on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp and in the field and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away and they went here and there. Now think about this. It doesn't say that Jonathan just strolled up there. It doesn't say they threw Jonathan a rope and he just pulled himself up. It doesn't say there were concrete steps for him to climb. It didn't say anything about it easy. It said what? He climbed on his hands and his knees up the side of a mountain. Now, as you can tell, I'm not a mountain climber, okay? I have a body built for the fall, not the climb. But if you've ever seen someone climb a mountain or if you've ever been brave enough to do it, they wear all kinds of gear, don't they? They put on suits to keep their bodies from scraping up against the rock. They wear special gloves and special shoes. They even wear a, a cord that they put up above them into the rock so if they fall, it stops them. Jonathan didn't have any of that. Jonathan had his armor. And so in that day, most likely would have been uh, something like a, a, a open or a closed tail uh, to, uh, shoe sandal or something along those lines. Most likely it would have ended somewhere in the neighborhood of here. Probably would not have covered his arms. And so I want you to think about this for a second. If you've ever had a wipeout on a concrete floor, right? You've ever seen a kid, they start to walk, right? Or a little kid comes running to you. And if it's an old person, you shouldn't laugh, okay? And they get about halfway there and they eat it. They wake up and they look up at you. What's usually happened? Their chin's all scraped up. Elbows are scraped up. Legs are all scraped up. Maybe some, some dirt and debris in their teeth. And, you know, looks like they've been to war and lost. And friends, I want you to think about this. As Jonathan climbed, I'm sure it was the same way. I'm sure the rocks tore his knees. I'm sure the, the, the rocks cut his hands. I can just imagine Jonathan getting at the top of that hill with no scratches, no sweat, no nothing. You see, we, we think about the scriptures and we think about these things and we just go over them in our mind. I want you to run around the church ten times and see how sweaty you are. Don't do that, all right? I don't know the Heimlich or whatever uh, CPR to keep some of you alive. I don't know what that, how that is. I think the Heimlich is for choking, so that wouldn't be any good. <laughs> but just imagine this. Jonathan is climbing up the side of this hill, and the rocks are tearing his knees, and they're cutting his hands, and he's sweaty, and he's covered in dirt. He's covered in, in this rock dust, and he gets to the top of this hill, top of this cliff, and he goes to war. 
You see, God gave them the victory. But I'm sure Jonathan had the scars. I'm sure after this is over, Jonathan's legs and knees are cut up and healed. And there are scars. There are scars on his hands. Why? God promised you the victory, but he never promised that it wouldn't cost you something. And friends, most of us want the victory without any cost. We want the victory without any effort. And so today I want you to know that the difficulty that you're going through, it might cost you physically. You might have to spend hours up at night giving up your sleep to pray. It might cost you giving up something financially to accomplish what God wants. It might cost you something emotionally to love and trust and love and trust and to watch that be broken. It might cost you spiritually when God says you've got to forgive. You've got to be long-suffering. It might cost you. You see, none of us genuinely want things to be difficult. We want it to be easy. But this victory that God won for Jonathan didn't come without a price. And so today I pray that whatever God asks of you, you are willing to say, God, whatever it takes to get to that mountaintop. Lord, whatever it takes to win that battle. Lord, whatever it takes to overcome all the odds. Lord, I trust that you will do it. Now, I like that this finishes up because the spies for, for King Saul are like, where's everybody going? Why are they running off? What's happened? And we're going to look next week. Saul's like, they must have really been impressed with my big army. Come on. They must have really been impressed with my military skills. No, the Lord fought for Jonathan. And friends, I believe the Lord will fight for you. I believe the Lord will fight for your family. I believe the Lord will fight for our church. I believe you and I must remember that no matter how hopeless the situation is, it's not totally hopeless with God. I hope that you'll remember that you've got to make a choice today to do something for God or to sit. And you must trust that God will provide the victory, but you've got to remember that even in victory comes great battle scars. Now, some of are not old enough to remember this, but one of the defining moments of my life was the Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield fight. Now, why do you think that it is one of the most memorable events in my life? He bit off what? Part of his ear. And I'm going to say this, and it's, it's comical, but it's not. I saw a picture the other day, and it was of Evander Holyfield holding up a mask, and it said, this is your fault, Mike Tyson. Because it wouldn't. <laughs> now, that's terrible, I know. But, friend, that scar has stayed with him the rest of his life. And I want you to hear this today. Even when God wins the victories in your marriage, there will be scars. Even when God wins the victory in your life over whatever you're battling, there will be scars. And friends, even as a church, as God continues to win victories, there will be scars. But I want you to hear this. 
Scars won't kill you. Scars are a picture of what it means to heal. And today I want you to know this. That God will win the victory regardless of how beat up you get. Regardless of how bad things get. Regardless of what people say about you. Regardless of everyone else attacks you. You might be bloodied. You might be beaten. You might be trampled on. But if God is with you, victory will come. You say, Jake, I just don't agree with that. Well, that's okay. I just preached what the Bible said. But I want to give you three more quick examples. Stephen did exactly what God told him to. And they broke his body with stones. Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, and tortured. And I'm sure he carried the scars with him. But the greatest example that I can ever give you is Jesus at Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again, he won the victory over sin and death and the grave. But if you remember, there was a disciple that had a trust problem. And do you remember what he said? Jesus showed himself to the disciples. And he said, I won't believe it unless I put my hands in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Unless I put my fingers in the hole that they pierced him with. And I want you to hear this today in John chapter 20, verse 27. And I want you to read it with me. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Jesus says, even though I've won the victory, these are scarred hands. Jesus said, even though I've won the victory, there is a scar right here. If you look earlier in that chapter, he said, look at my hands and my feet. Friends, today, if I can give you no other piece of advice, nothing else that you take from this sermon today is God will be with you. God will be with your family. and God will be with our church. But remember this simple thing. Victory comes even when it leaves the mark. And so today you say, Jake, my husband has been a scoundrel for all these years. I, I can't even go to the grocery store. One of my favorite songs, and one of these days I'm going to get Monty to sing it for me, is The Baptism of Jesse Taylor. And I love that song. And, uh, and uh, it talks about the fact that his wife can walk through town with her held, head held high because her husband wasn't out doing all the things that he used to do. His kids now have a daddy. The right arm of the law doesn't have to be so heavy because this time when Jesse went under, he went under for the Lord. Now, I don't believe baptism saves you. If that's what you get out of that song, I'm sorry. That's not it's me. But friends, today, sometimes you have to show people it almost killed me, but God wouldn't let it. Sometimes it almost broke me, but God wouldn't let it. And friends, God is not done with you yet. No matter where you've been, what you've done, 
how many of battles you've been through, how many times you've been shipwrecked, how many times you've stumbled, how many times you've aided on the spiritual concrete floor from stumbling and falling. God is not done with you. And today, if you're here and you're saying, Jake, I've never been saved. I don't understand what this means. Today, Jesus won the victory for you at Calvary when he hung on that cross and he took your sin and my sin and my shame and my punishment that I might be saved. Today, would you stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed? You say, Jake, you picked this sermon out just for me. Friends, I had no idea that 1 Samuel 13 was written this way and 1 Samuel 14 was written this way over 2,500 years ago when it was written. Today, you say, Jake, I just, I just, I, you, what am I supposed to do with this sermon? You can do one of two things. You can hear it that God is not done with you and keep pressing on. Or you can say, Jake, I'm going to sit. I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to move on. I'm not going to serve. Friends, that's your choice too. But today you have to know what God wants for you, for your family, and for your church. And trust Him no matter the cost. But today, most importantly, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, Baptism won't save you. Church membership won't save you. Church attendance won't save you. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can forgive you of all your sins. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that you have to admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died and rose again. And confess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Christian, if you're here today and you say, Jake, I am so beat up and so, so bloody and so down. There's no way God can win the victory for me. There's no way that God can win the victory for our marriage. There's no way that God can heal the wounds that I've had. Friends, God is able. God is able. If you'll trust him. I can't heal your wounds. This church can't heal you. But Jesus is the great physician. He is the one that gives sight to the blind. He is the one who makes the lame to walk. He is the one that makes the deaf to hear. He and he alone are what you need today. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.